Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you are taught that your life does not mean anything, that your life has no purpose, and, and all of that sort of thing, what's the point in going on living? But if you understand, no, your life does have a purpose. Your life does have meaning. And it's all wrapped up in the fact that you were created in God's image. Well, that changes everything. And that's the reality. Every human being bears the image of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, The Amajo Day. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So he says the idea that human life is special, that's a religious idea. It's not based on reason. And of course, he rejects it. But then listen to what Peter Singer thinks beyond that. If a house were on fire, I'd save 200 pigs before saving one human child. See, that's where this thinking goes because a human is no more valuable than a pig. Now, his friend, I would imagine they're friends, they think the same, Richard Dawkins, he said this. He said, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. Now, this is ironic coming from a biologist because he should know that a fetus, a human fetus, has. there's no connection between a pig and a human, right? He should know that. But, of course, this is probably just rhetoric on his part. If he really does think that, then he needs to go back to school. But, but this is the mentality. Now, you see... Singer and Dawkins and others like them are now arguing, so they're proponents of abortion on demand, they're proponents of infanticide, and they're also proponents of euthanasia. And how do they argue? Well, they argue, first of all, that humans have no special rights or no, they're, they're not any more important than anybody else. That's where it starts. Now, we all know the term of dehumanizing. So when you want to get rid of somebody or you want to oppress somebody or something like that, what do you do? You begin by dehumanizing them. And we've seen that happen over and over again. It's, it's just the way these people do it. If we can put them in a category that's less than human, then we can do what we want and we won't have to feel guilty about it or tell or have anybody tell us that, that, that we can't do it. So at some point in history, you, you come to a place and you see these people and you want their land. So you say, well, they're savages. So we got to get rid of these savages and then we can bring in civilization. Or you want people to do all your work, so you bring in these people and make them slaves, and you dehumanize them as well. Well, they're not really human. They're not fully human. They're subhuman. Or if you want to purify the race and make it all Aryan race, then you look at a group like the Jews, and you say, well, they're not really human. They're less than human. And so we can, we can do away with them. And this mentality is alive and well in the 21st century, in, especially in the Western world. And 
these people that I was just mentioning by name, these are the people that are promoting this. Now, they've gone a step further, though, than dehumanizing. And now they've taken another step to where they're saying, and this is, this is where they justify infanticide, because, you know, they can justify abortion by saying, well, it's not a human, it's a fetus. You know, they, they won't say it's a baby unless they're just, you know, talking normally about the baby. Then all of a sudden they catch themselves, oh, wait, I meant the, um, oh, we can't say baby because it is a baby, but we're pretending like it's not a baby. And so keep the word fetus in there. But now what they're doing, because what's happening, babies are being born that survived an abortion attempt or whatever the case is. And now they're saying, well, we, we, we got to kill the baby, even though it's out of the womb. But how do we do that? Well, now we do it by, we say, well, it's not, it's not being human. Now it's being a person. And now what they're saying is that personhood determines your value. And a baby's not really a person. You're not a person until your cognitive skills develop, until you can speak and things like that. So, so there's actually conversations that you could extend personhood out to maybe three years old or five years old or something like that. But then you can take it even further than that. And you say, well, you know, uh, an elderly person who, let's say they have dementia or something like that, well, they're no longer a person. And so... We don't have to treat them like a person. We can just dispose of them. And, well, you know, that, that person that has mental illness, that person that lives with, you know, depression and struggles through that, well, that quality of life is so low. That's not really living on the, the, the level of, of being a person. So we can also justify getting rid of them. And now it's coming to a place where it's not just... The ideas are not just the individual's quality of life is so low that we're going to put them out of their misery and send them on to the next world. Now it's like, well, if this person is inconveniencing my life and making my life more difficult, then this person is a problem. You know, that's happening with abortion and with infanticide. Jesus came and he spent much of his ministry among the undesirable. He spent much of his ministry among the truly marginalized people that everybody was just like, man, can we get rid of these people? They're really messing up our quality of life. And Jesus came among them. He came. Jesus is really the true champion of the weak and the vulnerable. Jesus is a champion, not some Marxist warrior, but Jesus is the, the true champion. So that's number one. The image of God teaches us the intrinsic value of every human being. Secondly, because everyone's created in the image of God, that means that everyone should be treated with dignity and respect. You know, this is a huge thing. And it's interesting to me that in the years I've been teaching and preaching and so forth, which are many years now, this idea about people being God's image bearers, although it's, it's always been there and it's part of the biblical text, taking it and understanding it and, and, and applying it 
is something that is, is kind of new, maybe over the last decade, where theologians and Christian thinkers have kind of start to come out and say, you know, if we just understand this as a reality, this will change the way we think and the way we deal with people. And it's really true. You see, if I look at somebody who, in, in whatever way, is undesirable, you know, you have in your own mind a picture of like the people that those people, man, they are a problem and, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whoever, whoever it might be. If you see that person as an image bearer, it changes everything because suddenly you're like, well, you know, yeah, that's the way they are right now. But actually underneath all of that, there's a person who was made in God's image. So I might not agree with somebody. I might have strong feelings in the opposite direction or any of that sort of thing. But my dealings with them are going to be respectful. And I'm going to remember that I'm dealing with another image bearer here. So that's the second thing. The third and final thing, we're talking about the things that we deduce from being created in God's image. The third and final thing is that we can rejoice and enjoy human accomplishments, recognizing that even if those accomplishments are made by sinners rather than saints, I'm using the word sinner very loosely here. We're all sinners. Um, I met somebody the other day and, um, I met these people. Some of you might have seen that I had a branch fall on my car when I was driving. Maybe you saw some of that. And, you know, busted my windshield, stopped my car in the middle of the road. And I'm fine, obviously. But I made a whole lot of new friends. (laughs) All the people that came out of their house to see what happened. They thought there was a big car crash or something. So anyway, we're standing there talking. And I met this one young lady. She came. She's very nice and kind young gal, Christian girl. And we started talking. And And then the next guy comes out. And so... She introduces me to him, and she introduces me as a pastor. And so it was a little tiny bit awkward, just the way she said it. And he looks at me, and he goes, well, uh, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Bill. I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I said, okay, so we got that clear. That's good now. So just for more clarification, I'm a pastor sinner. <laughs> so... What I'm saying is, you know, sometimes as Christians, here's what we do. We miss out or refuse to, you know, be, be blessed in a sense by certain things that are beautiful or certain aspects of life that, that can be joyful or whatever. We, sometimes we miss out on it because we think, well, you know, that person's not a Christian. That song's not a Christian song or that film is not about a Christian thing. And, you know, not every Christian thinks this way, but some people do think this way. And in a sense, you kind of get robbed of blessings that are there that are due simply to the fact that human beings are created in God's image. So when you hear a beautiful song, you don't have to feel bad if you find out that it wasn't written by a Christian. You can just enjoy it as a beautiful song because guess what? The person who wrote it was able to do that because God created them in his image. And they're just expressing that creative gifting that God put in them. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this film or heard about it or whatever. There's a a movie out right now called Yesterday and I, I went to see it on Friday night with my friend Dave who's here from England. 
And the movie yesterday is about this young British Indian guy who's a struggling musician. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to make it and he just, he just never does. But one night he's riding his bike home and there's a 12 second worldwide blackout. So for 12 seconds, the whole world goes black. And when it's all over, certain things have been deleted from history. So there's no Coca-Cola in this world. So he goes to a restaurant and he says, um, you know, they bring him a Pepsi. And he goes, no, I'd like a Coke. And they're just looking at him like, what's a Coke? So, but the main point of the film is that another thing that was deleted from history is the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles never existed. But he knows all these Beatles songs. So he starts playing Beatles songs and people are like, these are the greatest songs ever written, you know, and all this. And it's really a, a funny film. It's good. But, but anyway, the point is that, and, and this was kind of the point that the movie was making, really, that the world is a better place because of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. They contributed something to the world that has benefited and, and been, you know, in a sense, a blessing to people. And as I just thought about kind of the idea behind it, I thought, you know, that's really true. I mean, I can hardly hear a Beatles song without it bringing a smile to my face. It just does. And not every one of their songs, but, you know, many, many of them. Now, for some people, as a Christian, some people would say, well, that's not good because the Beatles weren't Christians. No, they weren't. But they're image bearers. But their creativity, the unbelievable chemistry between John Lennon and Paul McCartney to write music is extraordinary. Everybody knows that. Everybody agrees with that. And listen, that's a God-given gift. Now, they didn't use it for the glory of God, but we can give God glory for it. You see, that's the thing. I mean, unless it's something just overtly sinful, then obviously we're going to just recognize, no, that's not anything to glorify God over. But, but if you think about it, I mean, you know, if you think about it with a, you know, architecture, you think about an amazing structure or you think about an amazing painting or something like that, we derive pleasure from those things and it's okay to derive pleasure from them. Because in the end, we can even give God glory for them. I remember A.W. Tozer, some of you might know that name. A.W. Tozer was a well-known preacher back in the early to mid-20th century. We have tons of his books in the bookstore and all of that. I remember reading that A.W. Tozer read Shakespeare on his knees. What? He read Shakespeare on his knees, yeah. He got down and he just thought, this is such a masterful work of art. God, I'm going to glorify you for Shakespeare, and I'm, I'm going to read this, just, and I'm going to give you the glory while I do it. I think Tozer was onto something. Because when we recognize again the image of God, this is what we do. We just can say, praise the Lord. That's amazing. Now, coming down to the final point, Jesus, going back to what Jesus says here, Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, as I already alluded to, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the coin. Give to God what is God's. That's their lives. And that's what they were failing to do. So when we think about the fact that every human being is created in God's image, that means that we belong to God. 
Give to God the things that are God's. You know, your life belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Oh, you think it does. And that's what we hear all the time in justification for some of these things, right? It's my life. It's my body. I can do what I want. Actually, no, it's not. And one day you will find out that no, it's not because that body is going to be taken away from you and put in a grave. And there's not a single thing any person can do about that. Protest all you want, but you can't do anything about it. So the smartest thing for any human being to do is to recognize now that I'm created in God's image. That's why I have a life. And I belong to God. And therefore, I'm called to glorify God with my life. So think about this, three things. We belong to God, which means number one, our identity is in him. See, this is where we need to find our identity. If, if people today, you know, people are super confused about identity today, right? I, they're so confused that it's hard to believe that anybody ever got this confused about who they are. But that's where we're at. How do you help that? How do you fix that? How do you get rid of that confusion? Well, let's start with this. You're made in the image of God. That's where you start. You want to know who you really are? You got to go back to the one who made you. You got to start there. Don't say, I'm really the person I feel like I am inside, not the way I look outside. No. The outside is connected to the inside, but even you got to go back further. And in our identity is that we are image bearers, made in the image of God. But when we get that identity right, then you know what? Our self-worth comes from that. So I become valuable, not because I can perform something that is unnecessary for society. I become valuable, not because I'm a contributor, or I become valuable because I look the way people think other people ought to look, or any of those things. I am valuable because God made me in his image. That's my value. That's your value. That's the value of every person. And then thirdly, God made us in his image with a purpose. And so I have a basis to believe that there is a purpose for my life. My life means something. You know, this is, you know the suicide rate is up across the board today. And you wonder, like, why is the suicide rate increasing? Well, of course, there are many you know, personal factors, I'm sure, that go into it. But the underlying thing is that if you are taught that your life does not mean anything, that your life has no purpose, and, and all of that sort of thing, what's the point in going on living? But if you understand, no, your life does have a purpose. Your life does have meaning. And it's all wrapped up in the fact that you were created in God's image. Well, that changes everything. And that's the reality. Now, every human being bears the image of God. Albeit, that image is marred because of sin. You see, that's the thing. The image is marred because of sin. And that marring is, is sometimes very, very clear. Sometimes it's not as clear. And one of the craziest things is you can see in people that manifest the worst characteristics of the sinful nature, you can see 
somehow, so paradoxically, you can see sometimes glimmers of the goodness of God even breaking through that, that person. I, w- I shared this for service, and John Henry told me afterwards, we talked about Hitler a little bit. Uh, you know, Hitler had a charming side. So if you weren't one of the undesirables, you know, probably wasn't that bad of a guy to, to be around. How could he even have a charming side? Well, he was created in the image of God. But then John was telling me, watch this documentary on Pablo Escobar, the great, you know, the drug cartel. And, you know, this guy's responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands of people, not to mention the the drugs that, you know, infected so many lives and destroyed people. Uh, But he said in the documentary, his son, who is, goes around speaking against drugs and all that, said he could not say a bad word about his father, though, because he was the kindest, gentlest, most loving man that he ever knew. Wow. So he's kind and gentle and loving to his child, but he'll kill anybody at the drop of a hat just because that's what he does. How how does this work? Well, it's the marred image. And there are still those moments where, you know, the the reality of being created in God's image, who is love and grace and kindness, those will even break through in in the darkest situation. But see, here's the thing. In Christ, you know what's happened in Christ is in Christ, the image of God is renewed in us. That's what happened. So when we come to Jesus, and Paul put it this way to the Ephesians, he said to them, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, coming to Christ actually begins a process of restoring God's image in us. That's what happens. So the image of God in us becomes clearer and clearer the more Christ indwells us and fills us. And that's why you can have a person who at one time in their life, the image of God was so marred, they were more like an animal than a person. And today they're more like a person than an animal. And not just a person, but they're actually more like God. That's the renewing power of the Spirit of God. And so you see this whole idea of God's image. This is the reality. We are created in his image. And through Christ, all of that marring that was there because of sin is reversed. God begins that reversing process. And so... That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to restore us to his image. And as believers who have already begun that that process, he wants us to recognize that the people around us are image bearers. And so whatever we're thinking about and whoever we're thinking of, let's see them through that lens of image bearers. And that will help. It'll go a long ways with attitudes and behaviors uh, toward people. And now let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. 
Hi, Pastor Brian here. I wanted to recommend a book that my wife absolutely loves. It is a book about Gladys Elward. Gladys Elward was a young woman who went as a missionary to China, and God used her in an extraordinary way. The book is written by Phyllis Thompson, and she is one of Cheryl's favorite authors. So for those of you that might be interested in missionary biographies and the story, especially of how God has used a woman like Gladys, this is a book for you. So I highly recommend A London Sparrow. That's the title of the book, A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Elward by Phyllis Thompson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. You can order the book A London Sparrow by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book A London Sparrow by Phyllis Thompson to encourage you in God's ability to use you for extraordinary things. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.